Well, this morning I'm going to have you open your copy of God's Word to the book of Daniel, and we're going to jump back into Daniel chapter 5. If you were with us last week, we were able to get from verse 1 down through verse 12, which kind of really just set us up for the, the, the primary um, teaching that we're going to see here in Daniel chapter 5, and I made mention um, when we got to verse 12 that, that the big transitional piece of the, the, uh, the re-emergence of Daniel within the Babylonian kingdom, he had seemed to have gone off into some obscurity for some time. And so last week while we were together, we looked at um, verses 1 through 4, we saw that Belshazzar had a royal feast with a thousand of his nobles, while the um, surrounding armies of the Medes and the Persians were just on the outside walls of, of Babylon the Great. Um, it's pretty certain that he would have had that knowledge that his army had been defeated, and so he's uh, rallying his nobles, and um, he decides uh, while they're there together drinking wine to bring in the, the uh, articles of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, brought when he brought the Judeans in after conquering Jerusalem, uh, these articles from the temple of God, these goblets, these cups from which to drink, and they were drinking wine from these articles from the temple of God. And it was then in verses 5 and 6, after the setting of that scene, that we see the sign. And it was the sign of a handwriting on the palace wall. And immediately, Belshazzar had um, uh, quite the response. His face grew pale, and he was found trembling in fear of, out of great curiosity as to what this hand in the writing meant. And so... In verses 7 through 9, we see the, the shortcoming of the conjurers and the magicians and the Chaldeans within the Babylonian kingdom. Belshazzar brought them in urgently to find out and to discern and to give him the information with regard to the handwriting on the wall, even offering um, a, a high position, the third position in Babylon, and a, a cloak of, of purple and a golden necklace around your neck for the man that can tell me this information. And they were all unable. And so then in verses 10 through 12, we saw the summonsing of Daniel. The queen mother comes in and she informs Belshazzar that there is a man in his kingdom who in the past had the spirit of the holy God in him and had the, and had the capacity to give the king what he needed. And so Daniel was thus summonsed. Which brings us to where we're at this morning in Daniel chapter 5, which is in verse 13. And from verse 13 down through verse 28, we're going to see Daniel's interpretation of this handwriting on the wall. Notice verse 13 with me. It says in verse 13, Then Daniel was brought in before the king. So again, we see here in this passage how Daniel's faithfulness to God over his lifetime is still paying huge dividends. Everything the queen mother had said about Daniel in verses 10 through 12 were true of him simply due to the reality that Daniel, if you remember when he was a young boy, first brought into the Babylonian kingdom, as a young man made up his mind, we saw in chapter 1, verse 8, that he would not defile himself with the king's choice foods and how he was choosing to live his life. Daniel said, I've got doctrinal convictions and I'm standing on my convictions. And Daniel would not budge. 
Now, just by making a note here, we need to always remind ourselves that God uses people such as this, faithful people who will be faithful to him and for his purposes in life. So as we live life faithfully before God, we need to just trust that God is the one who will open doors of ministry opportunities for us that he has prepared beforehand that we would walk in. Paul, the Apostle Paul makes mention of this in the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 2. We're God's poema. We're his craftsmanship. We're his worksmanship. And it says that we were created in Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, for good works. We were created in Christ Jesus for something, for good works, which, notice, God prepared. Who prepared them? God prepared. God prepared the good works that we would walk in beforehand so that we would walk in them. Daniel is a good example of that. Daniel was not yearning nor striving nor even asking God to be used in some mighty and significant way. He was just faithful. And in his faithfulness, God found a young man who we sometimes have this, you've heard this saying before, it's not new. He, he found a young man who was fat. You heard that one before? Faithful, F, available, A, and teachable. And such was the young man Daniel in chapter 1, verse 8. And we're going to see such is the old man of Daniel here in chapter 5 as well. Spiritually faithful, available, and still teachable, even at the end of his life. Keep looking at verse 13. It says, Then Daniel was brought in before the king, and notice, the king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, whom my father, the king, brought from Judah? Belshazzar doesn't even seem to recognize Daniel, does he? He speaks as if this perhaps is the first time he's ever seen him. He says, are you that Daniel? Is it, truly, is it really you? Are you the one, of the one of the exiles from Judah that my father brought here? This lets us know that Daniel clearly has been out of the public eye for some time now following Nebuchadnezzar's death. He clearly didn't have an open door policy with Belshazzar. And it doesn't appear that Daniel has been actively working to bring about societal change within the city of Babylon. Are you that Daniel? Who are you? Are you certain that you're the one? And so it seems that Daniel has been living for some time according to a New Testament principle that we find in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Notice what Paul urges God's people and believers to do there. Paul says, but we urge you brethren to excel still more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your own hands, just as we have commanded you, so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. Make it your ambition, and it seems that this is what Daniel has been doing. Ambition here is from this Greek word, see me afterwards and I'll give you its proper pronunciation. And notice, to earnestly aspire to something. Ambition. 
to earnestly aspire to something, implying strong ambition for some goal. To aspire to, to make something one's ambition to. And you notice in the Luaunida Greek lexicon, they reference 1 Thessalonians 4.11. And here's that word I'm going to give you a pronunciation of later. Do everything you can to live the quiet life. Daniel's life was mostly lived behind the scenes, leading a quiet life and staying faithful, available, and teachable. And in doing that, what are you actually doing? It seems to me that what you're doing is you're just simply waiting on God to show up. You're allowing God to be God. To accomplish what he's up to with the nations of the world. For what he's up to with the countries of the world. With the states and cities of the world. Because as we most certainly saw from Daniel chapter 2. And the dream that Nebuchadnezzar was given by God. Our God has a plan for all the nations and peoples of the world. And who can stay his hand? Who can stay the hand of God? No man. Now, let me show you what I actually think Daniel was doing while in his obscurity living there in Babylon. Are, are you that Daniel that my dad brought in from the captives of Judea? Is it you? Can you confirm that for me? Didn't even know who he was. Let me show you what I think Daniel was actually doing while living in obs obscurity in, there in Babylon. Notice from Jeremiah 29, 1 through 2. Now these are the words of the letter which Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the rest of the elders of the exile, the priests and the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. You see the connection? There's a one-to-one -one correlation this was after King Jehoiakim and the queen mother, the court officials, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. Verse 3. The letter was sent by the hand of Elash, the son of Saphon, and Jemiah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Notice, verse 5. Here's what you need to be about doing. Build houses and live in them. And plant gardens and eat their produce. Verse 6. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. Verse 7. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in it 
For in its welfare, you will have welfare. Lord Yahweh is telling the Judean exiles to live as good citizens and to not make waves. Build houses, take wives, continue to multiply, be good citizens, and pray for your Babylonian leaders and for their welfare. For in their welfare, you will have welfare. I believe this is what Daniel was doing while not serving in the king's court. And it sounds a whole lot like what the Apostle Paul said, to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and to attend to your own business and to work with your hands and to behave properly towards outsiders. Then in Jeremiah's letter, uh, Lord Yahweh gives them the why. Notice, verse 10 and 11. For thus says Yahweh, When 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity. To give you a future and a hope. Isn't that good? Isn't it good to know that the Lord has plans for you? Plans to prosper and to give you a future and a hope. But, but in the meantime, while in captivity, his plan for you is to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life so that you might see these latter days. And one of the, the, the great encouragements, it seems, from chapter 5 is the recognition of the fact that God is now starting to fulfill these very promises. That had to be of great encouragement to Daniel and the other Judean exiles. The head of gold, we're about to see in chapter 5, is gone. The chest and the arms of silver, just like Nebuchadnezzar's dream said, is now moving into place according to God's purposes and plans. Seventy years of captivity are drawing to a close. So make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and to attend to your own business because God will take care of His own business in His time and in His ways and He doesn't need your help with the rise and the fall of nations to bring about His eternal kingdom. God did not need Daniel's help to bring Babylon to its knees, to an end. God did not need nor use Daniel nor Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to bring up and rise up the Persian kingdom. But what God did do with Daniel and what God did do with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego while living in Babylon was to use them in such a way as to make his name great. To make his name greatly known within the Babylonian empire and around the entire world. That was the purpose for which God used Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. While God was doing what he already said he was going to do with the rise and fall of nations. You remember from Daniel chapter 3? Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, notice, blessed be the God of who? 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who put their trust in him, violating the king's command. Is there ever a place, you say? Violating the king's command. And yielded up their bodies. They understood consequences, or the understood consequences, for their choice and actions. They yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. And you see right here, so as not. What was the purpose for their civil disobedience? What was the purpose for them putting their own lives at stake? It was so that... So as not to serve or worship, serve or worship any God except their own. When is it the right time for civil disobedience and for understanding the consequences that come with our choices? It's so that we're not to serve or worship other false gods, but to serve and worship our God alone. And so when the laws of the land demand that we violate these principles, we stand on God's word and we face death rather than dishonor. And in such, God used Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to make the mighty name of Yahweh known. And then we see this again in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. This, these three verses were the precursor to the reality of what happened in Nebuchadnezzar's life. So in verse 4 and following in chapter 4, he tells you what God Almighty did to him. But in verses 1 through 3, he's giving a recognition of it afterwards. This is the aftermath. Nebuchadnezzar the king to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language that live in all the earth, may your peace abound. It has seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the most high God has done for me. Notice verse 3, how great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. Again, God used his kids to make his name and might known to all people, all nations, and every man of language that live in all the earth. And none of this was forced by Daniel or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were simply spiritually fat, faithful, available, teachable, to be used by God. When God put them in circumstances, they just engaged as to who they were as the children of God. They didn't go seek it out. They didn't ask for it. They didn't ask to be put there. They were put there by the hand of God. And when they got there, then they responded the way they responded. And we see the aftermath of this. They made God's name a commodity in all the known world. And they made it through Nebuchadnezzar that evangelism, the Zionism was an appropriate thing to do across all the land. And if anybody spoke against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Daniel, they were to be torn from limb to limb and their houses demolished. Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had little to do with that. They just simply stood in the gap when God put them in the gap and they were faithful. We see that they were available and they obviously were teachable. They flexed where they had to flex. They were willing to learn the language and the culture and the, the history in order to, to, to be God's representative. They were, they were teachable. They were willing to do 
bend as much as they could. Faithful to doctrinal purity, available to be used by Yahweh as he was pleased and teachable. Fat. F A N T. It's the only good time to maybe think of yourself as being fat. Is this way. And as Christians, as God's kids living in our ever-increasing pagan culture, we are called to do the exact same thing. And to live like these men lived, albeit in a different time and culture, our ambition should also be to be good citizens to pray for the welfare of our city, state, and country, and to make the name of Jesus great as we seek to be ambassadors for Christ in the fulfilling of the Great Commission. While we wait for Him to come back and receive His church to Himself, Amen? Let it be so. Notice verse 14. Belshazzar says to Daniel, Now I have heard about you that a spirit of the gods is in you, and that illumination, insight, and extraordinary wisdom have been found in you. This here is a reference back again to verse 10 and 12, where the queen mother told her son Belshazzar that if you want to know what the mene mene tekel upharsin means, you had better summons Daniel and quickly. So we see here that Daniel has been summoned, and Belshazzar says to him now in verse 15, Just now the wise men and the conjurers were brought in before me that they might read this inscription and make its interpretation known to me, but they could not declare the interpretation of the message. So again here we see an acknowledgement of man's inability by natural reason and natural understanding to discern the things of God. They could not declare the interpretation of the divine message that was written on the wall. So Belshazzar summoned Daniel, brings him in, and is asking Daniel for a favor. Verse 16. But I personally have heard about you, that you are able to give interpretations and solve difficult problems. Now, if you're able to read the inscription and make the interpretation known to me, You will be clothed with purple and wear a necklace of gold around your neck and you will have authority as the third ruler in the kingdom. Here again is, if you will, the allurement to to power. The third ruler in the kingdom, which most people aspire towards and at some place usually is a, a position of power, wealth, recognition. All of this is being offered to Daniel if he will do this favor for Belshazzar. But notice Daniel's reply in verse 17. Daniel answered and said before the king, keep your gifts for yourself or give your rewards to someone else. However, I'll read the inscription to the king and make the interpretation known to him. Daniel could have cared less, we see, about the the third ranking power, the prestige, whatever riches may have come with it. He had no interest at all in said rewards. Daniel couldn't be bought, if you will. However, we see that Daniel is very interested in helping. And I can't help but think that Daniel immediately saw and understood what was written on the wall. It probably took him all of two seconds to understand that God was fulfilling what God said he was going to do from the dream that he interpreted for Nebuchadnezzar. Just like that. 
And for Daniel, this is significant. It was yet another reminder that God isn't finished with his chosen nation, his chosen people, Israel. I can almost see Daniel, <clears throat> if you will, I can almost see him out tending his garden. He's, he's overlooking the grapevines and plucking marvelous grapes off the vine when in a hurry he's, there are some soldiers rushed in summonsing him. Immediately you must leave your, the tending of your ambitious quiet life stead and you need to come immediately. I can almost envision that that's probably something that happened and he was ushered into the king for such urgent matters as this. Well, so far in Daniel 5, we've seen the scene, the sign, the shortcoming, and then the summons, and now we're going to see Daniel's sermon. Look at verse 18 down through verse 22. Daniel's sermon. O king, the most high God granted sovereignty, grandeur, glory, and majesty to Nebuchadnezzar, your father. Because of the grandeur which he bestowed on him, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language feared and trembled before him. Whoever he wished, he killed, and whomever he wished, he spared alive. And whomever he wished, he elevated, and whomever he wished, he humbled. Verse 20. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit became so proud that he behaved arrogantly, he was disposed from his royal throne and his glory was taken away from him. Verse 21, he was also given, <clears throat> he was also driven away from mankind and his heart was made like that of beasts and his dwelling place was with the wild donkeys. He was given grass to eat like cattle and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he recognized that the most high God is ruler over the realm of mankind and that he, and that he sets it over whomever he wishes. Now, in the intro to Daniel's sermon, which is what 18 through 21 is, he basically summarizes uh, Nebuchadnezzar's testimony that we read through and exegeted when we went through chapter 4, Daniel chapter 4 of how God gave Nebuchadnezzar great authority and how Nebuchadnezzar <clears throat> used that to pervert justice. How he used it to kill, he had used it to become proud and arrogant. <clears throat> and so God struck him down, turned him into an animalistic human who thought that he was a beast and who ate the grass of the field. And it says that that period of time lasted over Nebuchadnezzar's life for some seven years until he learned that it was the most high God that rules from heaven and it's the most high God who sets men over kingdoms and gives kingdoms to whomever he wills so in the introduction to Belshazzar Daniel has clearly established these facts and confirmed them in Belshazzar's presence. And none of this would have had eluded Belshazzar's knowledge. Belshazzar would have had knowledge of every bit of this information that Daniel is rehearsing here with him. And then Daniel proceeds to indict Belshazzar for not humbling himself and doing what Nebuchadnezzar did and recognizing that it's the Most High God. Oh, the God of the Judean exiles. Oh, the God whose golden and silver goblet cups you're currently drinking wine from. He's the one who's the ruler over the realm of mankind and is alone worthy 
Belshazzar, of your worship and praise that you just gave to gold and silver and bronze and wood and stone. That God. Look at verse 22. Daniel continues and he says to him, Yet you, his son Belshazzar, you have not humbled your heart even though you knew all this. Indictment one was that Belshazzar suppressed this knowledge. He says, you knew. You weren't ignorant. You can't claim, I'm, I'm just an ignorant pagan king. I didn't know these things. No, you have sinned against God by suppressing the light of revelation that he provided for you through your father, Nebuchadnezzar. Your sin is not a sin of ignorance. You knew what happened. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm sorry. You knew what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. You knew that he ascribed all these things ultimately to the God of heaven. Yet you have not humbled your heart. Belshazzar, your sin is flagrant rebellion against God and the knowledge of God. Christ, in his ministry, in Matthew 11 pronounces horrible judgment on certain cities for doing this very thing. He said in Matthew eleven twenty 20 through 24, he denounced the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades, for if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. It's going to be more tolerable for those in Sodom who were destroyed with hell, fire, and brimstone on earth because of their depraved sexual immoralities than for you who having knowledge of the Holy One right there in your presence in the person of Jesus Christ, you suppressed that truth and you stiffened your neck and you hardened your heart. It's going to be worse for you than those in the land of Sodom on the day of judgment. Rebellion against the knowledge of God and the light that he has revealed is tragic. And Belshazzar knew what God did to Nebuchadnezzar, yet he would not humble his heart. And I'm afraid that there's a lot of proud Americans who, who have knowledge of what God did through his son Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary. They've heard the gospel probably for the majority of their entire lives and they still will not humble their hearts and put their faith in the lordship of Jesus Christ. They're still persisting to be their own God, their own maker of their own little kingdoms. Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll tip our hat to God. We give, we'll give acknowledgement to the to God in heaven and Jesus, but in terms of submission, not so much. The day of judgment is coming, as it does against Belshazzar this very night.
The second indictment and third comes from verse 23. But you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven. Self-exaltation. The pride of man. I will be like God. C.S. Lewis says we've fallen in love with ourselves in his book, The Shadowlands. We've turned our backs to God. In the glorious radiance and brilliance of the image of God, we've turned our backs to, and now it's caused our own shadow to fall on the earth, and we've fallen in love with the lands of the shadows. We've fallen in love with ourselves. And we have all kinds of idols of our own hearts that we live for and long for and crave for and get mad over if we can't possess and have. And Lewis says we simply need to turn our back against those things and face the brilliance of the bright glory of the ever-living God in the face of Jesus Christ and submit ourselves and humble our pride and repent of our sin and turn only and unto him. The second indictment was that, Belshazzar, you have loved your own self-exaltation more than the exaltation of the only true and living God. And then number three is the indictment of idolatry. Keep looking at verse 23. He says, and they have brought the vessels of this house. Daniel's telling him, you have brought the vessels of his house, that God, before you. And you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines, have been drinking wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Which do not see, hear, or understand. But the God in whose hand are your life, breath, and all your ways, you have not glorified and that's what idolatry does it robs God of the glory appropriately due him and his name only and it gives it to lifeless lifeless objects that we in turn render praise whether it's the lust for the latest iPhone 25 and it's updated camera we just got to have these things or our lives just aren't quite the same. But I, I kind of have a hard time, Pastor Matt, just finding a little time to read the Bible. I just, man, I just have a hard time finding a little just to fit God in anywhere. But I'm going to do whatever it takes to get the things that my lustful, sinful heart wants because though, therein is my pleasure and therein is my joy. The indictment of idolatry. Belshazzar, you have been found lacking is what Daniel is going to say that God has clearly said to him. Belshazzar sinned against knowledge, was swollen with pride, and worshipped things which were not God. So after the sermon, we're now going to see the sentence. The execution of God's judgment. Notice verse 24. Then the hand was sent from him. And this inscription was written out. Now this is the inscription that was written out. Mene, mene, tekel, upharsin. This is the inscription of the message. Verse 26. Mene. God has numbered your kingdom and put an end to it. Many simply means numbered. The days of the Babylonian kingdom had been numbered by God. 
That's what Daniel says. The Mene, God has numbered your kingdom and put it to an end. And so we see that numbered here has the idea of bringing to an end. God has numbered your kingdom and put an end to it. The number of the days of the Babylonian empire were numbered and that numbering has come. In Psalm 139, 16, God has this amazing passage that gives us this amazing truth that most of us have heard and know about. When it says, your eyes have seen my unformed substance and in your books were all written the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. And that kind of reminded me of this reality of being numbered. The days of the Babylonian kingdom were many. They were numbered and it was over. And so it got me to thinking about the reality that all of us face a similar sentence in some ways. All the days of our lives were, were ordained for us. In your book were all written the days that were ordained for me. When as yet there was none of them. Before we were even conceived and born into this earth... God's eyes saw our unformed substance, and in his book, he has a book, were written the number of days that were ordained for Ben Averett. Insert you, it's true for you as well. When as yet there wasn't even one. God is sovereign over the number of our days. And we also know that there's going to come a time when the expiration date, we, we kind of bump into that. And sometimes we bump into those expiration dates unknowingly, and by surprise, sometimes not so much. But it's a clear indication for me that God is in the business of not only numbering nations, he's also in the business of numbering lives. So if you're here this morning and you've yet to repent and to place your faith exclusively in the Lord Jesus Christ, to have turned away from your own personal little shadow lands and have fallen in love with yourself and turning to the glorious radiance of the, and the brilliance that's discovered in the face of Jesus Christ. Today is the day of salvation. Because your days too have been numbered. You will be found out. And verse 27, not only numbered, tickle. You have been weighed on the scales and found deficient. The word tickle literally means to be weighed and to be found Deficient, too light, lacking. In those days, they would weigh things on scales and they would put whatever the standard of weight of measurement was on one side and whatever the commodity was on the other side. I need a, I need a, a pound of feathers. And so they would they'd put the, the standard over here and then they would start stacking the feathers up over here until I got my pound of feathers. It was a way to make certain that, that the weight of things were equal and and Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian kingdom, Belshazzar, you have been weighed on the scales and you have been found deficient. Deficient in your morality, deficient in your spiritual virtue, Belshazzar, deficient in your moral values, Belshazzar, deficient in your right response to the knowledge that God sent you through your father, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, you have been found deficient. You have fallen short of the glory of God and his standards of holiness. And the day is coming, since our days are number two, that we will be weighed. 
And the scriptures tell us that the wages of sin is death. And for every soul that is found without the righteousness of Jesus Christ freely imputed to them, they will be found lacking and deficient and in need. But it will be too late. Hebrews 9, 27, it's been appointed unto man to die once and then comes judgment. And then the last in verse 28, Perez, which is the singular of Eupharsin. He says, your kingdom has been divided and given over to the Medes and Persians. And what that dividing looked like was giving them over in conquest to the Medes and Persians. So the idea of divided here has the idea of being no more. Their, their kingdom is no longer. The, Med- the Babylonian Empire will no longer be existing. It's been divided. It's finished. God's judgment has fallen. And as I made mention, God's judgment will fall on every human soul who rejects the light of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to say it again, today is the day of salvation. If you know in your heart of hearts that you have yet to truly submit yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, perhaps you're here this morning and you might have taken it a little offensively that I said that perhaps you kind of tip your hat to God or tip your hat to Jesus. Listen, don't take offense to that brother or sister. Take that as a a warning from the word of God that you must repent. God will share his glory with no man, you or no man. We must all come as beggars to the foot of the cross and cling only to Jesus Christ exclusively for the forgiveness of our sins and turn to him. Might today be that day for you. And then in the last few verses, we see this sentence executed. In verse 29 through 31, It says, then Belshazzar gave orders, and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a necklace of gold around his neck and issued a proclamation concerning him that he now had authority as the third ruler in the kingdom. That same night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was slain. So Darius the Mede, that's another way of saying Cyrus the Persian, received the kingdom at about the age of 62. And historians tell us that Babylon fell on the 16th day of Tishri in the year 539 B.C. And we know that someday, the Babylon of Revelation 17 and 18, the final world system of Antichrist, is going to fall in a holocaust infinitely greater than this. But between those two Babylons, Babylon of old and the Babylon of the future, we see God faithfully orchestrating his plan for the nations. And if you go back to to chapter 2, if you go back to chapter 2, which I conveniently have for you, we see that right now we are right down here. Done, done over, finished, and we're waiting for a revived Roman European League of Nations of sorts led by the Antichrist himself who will take his stand against Christ and his anointed and God is going to send a rock from heaven, the second advent of Jesus Christ and the wrath of the Lamb will come Furiously, and it said in Daniel chapter 2 that this rock 
the rock of Christ is going to destroy all the worldly nations. And as chaff off the threshing floor, it will be completely removed. Not a trace will be left. And that that rock will establish a kingdom that will start growing and it will overtake the entire world. We are right down here and we are waiting. And let me tell you, if you're not seeing some of the proverbial handwriting on the wall signs of even in our culture today, I can't give you a win, but I can certainly tell you that that we can see the, the signs of the times around us, can't we? And there is a closing in, and God through his word, from Genesis to Revelation, and in the gospel of Jesus Christ, has, is, is, to, is to be made like a megaphone through his church and through his people. All people everywhere. Today is the day of salvation. Repent. Remember Noah in the old day? Noah up there building the arky arky? People are cheering and jeering at him. What are you doing, old man? It's not going to rain. It's never rained. And so we're down here like ambassadors in chains, and we're crying out to anybody who will listen. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming again. Yeah, right. Uh huh. Okay, if you say so. Thanks. Nice knowing you. Not really. We need to continue to proclaimers of the good truth of Jesus Christ. Listen, to those who are perishing, it's foolishness. But to those who are the call of God, it's the power of God. And he uses you and me and our mouths and our lives to proclaim that while we're right down here in history, human history. God takes care of every bit of this. Amen? Let's be like a Daniel, like a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and let's be heralders. And so when God picks up your life and puts you in the gap... Make certain that while your ambition is to lead that quiet life, do that. And while you're doing that, oh, and next, next week when we get into chapter 6, we're going to see that one of the things that Daniel was doing that, was a, that, was a, that was a part of his customary daily routine was praying to God five times a day. In his quiet life, he was making room for God. And it seems like he was just waiting, saying, God, I'm faithful, available, and teachable, but I'm going to lead my quiet life until you take my life and you put me in a gap. And when you put me there, I'm going to stand firm let's do the same amen we know not what gap God may move us into he may move you into a gap in your family around a uh, uh, an, an Easter lunch with a family that desperately needs to hear why your life is different than theirs and I don't know you need to pray and you say God how do I even broach that conversation ask God for wisdom he'll graciously, graciously supply amen and this is Daniel chapter 5. Let's pray.